Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, why we might be about to learn a whole lot more about SpaceX and some pretty invasive new identification technology in China. But first, the midterms. Of course, the midterms. As you almost certainly know by now, Democrats have taken back the House of Representatives while Republicans have increased their edge in the Senate. And that shouldn't be too surprising since it's what almost everybody thought was going to happen, not only because of some of the general polling, but also because, as we noted on Monday, Democrats were on offense in the House with lots of retiring Republicans and on defense in the Senate where they had to defend an unusually large number of red state seats. So we'll get into all the numbers and takeaways in a minute with Axios Editor-in-Chief Nick Johnston. But first, I want to kind of focus on something a little broader, which is that the midterms should have been, and hopefully were, a giant bat signal to Silicon Valley asking for help. Not in terms of electing certain politicians or parties, but in terms of polling, which was still way off in some key races, and also in terms of the actual equipment on which we used to vote. So in terms of polling, a big problem for pollsters over the past several years has been finding likely voters. It used to be easy, just consult the phone book and ask, but it's become more difficult in the mobile era. Moreover, it clearly seems there is a certain segment of Americans, mostly Trump-leaning Americans, who either aren't being captured by pollsters currently or who aren't telling them the truth. Now, Silicon Valley has become very good at gauging our interests and sentiments mostly to sell us stuff. Maybe they could also help tell us what we're buying at the polls. And as for those polls, please fix the equipment. It is absurd that so many people waited so long to vote for the sole reason that the machines didn't work because of moisture, missing power cords, or faulty wiring. We're most likely headed to a smartphone-based voting future, but in the meantime, we do need some effective bridge technology. Most current voting machine companies are owned by private equity firms, which probably means there's some real money in it. Hopefully Silicon Valley will see that as well and make the process of voting as easy as it so obviously should be. In 15 seconds, we'll be joined on all things midterms by Nick Johnston, editor-in-chief of Axios. But first, this. Axios chief technology correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to Get Smarter Faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata podcast. So, Nick, I, I know there's been in the last, whatever, 10 hours, a bunch of hand-wringing over the polls and the pollsters, but conventional wisdom was basically correct, right? Democrats yeah. win the House, lose the Senate. It lined up with a lot. I think the trend that we've been following, certainly since the summer, where we sort of dialed it down from blue wave to blue ripple, which I think maybe sort of understates it. But the polling generally in the last couple of months said, like, well, the House looked really good for Democrats. They got it. The Senate looked pretty good for Republicans. They actually overperformed my expectations there. But we ended up, end of the day, sort of what we expected, a divided government, emboldened President Trump in the Senate to continue to get judges and nominations through. The Democrats have subpoena power now. So there will be maybe we'll get to see Donald Trump's tax returns soon. But like there is going to be a fly in the ointment, a very big headache for the administration going forward. When you look at the results yesterday, particularly in the Senate, where it seems that most of the Republicans who won the tight ones were kind of called the more Trumpy Republicans. Right, right. A lot of Democrats in the House were much more progressive. Did the results yesterday polarize Congress even more? Maybe you get gridlock because you have two houses, but the people who are in there are more on the extremes. I don't think it was as much. There were a lot of progressive candidates 
candidates in House races that didn't win or that are still sort of up to be called. I think what we're going to learn more from the data as these results come in, which I hope our data visualization geniuses are going to start crunching hopefully this morning, is to figure out where exactly that line is. How much did Republicans underperform in suburban districts where they used to do well? And how much did Democrats underperform sort of in rural states, particularly on the Senate? Like there's a couple of races we had in our Axios 8, which illustrate that. Like a big trend we were watching was there's all these suburban California districts in Orange County, which used to be sort of rock bed conservatives. Those are some of them not called yet. And Democrats may win some of those for the first time as long as I can remember. And that kind of shows sort of the polarization where you've got cities and suburbs which are increasingly going for Democrats and you've got states, exurban areas and rural areas that are increasingly going to Senate. And that'll be shown sort of in the split between the House and the Senate. That's what we'll probably the trend we'll watch for the next two years because, you know, the Iowa caucuses are only 453 days away. One of the other things we were watching for yesterday wasn't the results necessarily, but was uh, was security and security breaches. You know, were we going to get a hack of an election or or an attempt at manipulation? It seems like for the most part, and and we can leave aside from it the fact that a lot of voting machines didn't work, which is its own technological issue. But on security, things at least right now seem to have worked okay. Nothing bubbled up on my radar. I viewed like last night was very fascinating. I've been in newsrooms for every election but one this century. And this one played out very much like all of the rest. There were Marys, there were scattered reports about sort of voting irregularities. There were polls that hadn't been opened longer. There was raining, there was problems, but there wasn't anything systemic about sort of hacking or misinformation, which I thought was very heartening, considering sort of like all the focus that's been on it. Leaving aside the top line, you know, Democrats, Republicans, Congress, and even the, some of the governor's races, what were you looking at down ballot kind of in terms of maybe on the referendum side, et cetera, in particular states? What was notable to you yeah, that, we, there that was, happened? There was this big uh, ballot proposition in Colorado, which would have essentially ended fracking. It would have banned, I think, fracking from anything within 2,500 feet of a school or a church. That went down. That was defeated by oil interest. Medicaid expansion was something interesting. That won in a lot of places you wouldn't expect. And that kind of shows this interesting split, or even sort of like in Utah, where Mitt Romney can become the next senator from Utah, and they can also vote for a Medicaid expansion. Then there was a big one in Florida. I think it was a constitutional amendment, which removed the bar on voting for convicted felons. And I think that's as many as 1.5 million people in Florida. You mentioned it and you were kind of joking that the Iowa caucuses are only 453 days away, as you said. But that does mean, right, just politically speaking, when a president wins, you usually think they've got until the midterms to get things done or, or yeah. maybe the summer of the midterms. This is accelerated, right? People are going to be in Iowa this coming summer. And they may be on their way to Iowa right now. God help us all. But I think very much there is that. Like, sort of a president sort of can come in with a majority. And like Donald Trump became president. He had a majority in the Senate, majority in the House. They were very narrow majorities. But like, that's how he was able to get the tax bill done. That's how they were able to sort of not get the health care bill done. And now that's over. We are now fixed. uh, The the House will be completely opposed to the president's priorities. We'll focus almost exclusively on investigating him. As Mike wrote this morning, do not rule out impeachment proceedings in 2019 if these investigations turn out something. But of course, the Senate will be a check on that. If the House impeaches the president, the Senate will not convict him. They only need, I think, what, 34 senators to be on his side there. And so the Senate will just probably just keep churning through uh, judges. And then that will become a big campaign issue, I think, when, you know, Elizabeth Warren or Better Work show up in Des Moines, Iowa tomorrow morning. They might. But that said, the House does have some, call it leverage on things. So think even about something like some of these trade treaties. You know, Trump has talked about how he's you know signed this deal with Mexico and this deal with Canada. Right. Those haven't been passed by Congress yet. Now, he might get those done in the next two months in the lame duck. But when you think of, say, if there is a deal with China, that's going to have to go through a Democratic House. And that will be fascinating. That could mean nothing happens and nothing changes. But remember, there was this brief moment, I think it was last year, when there was a sense of comedy between, as the president called him, the president and Chuck and Nancy. And he's 
said nice things on Twitter about Nancy Pelosi this morning. So or is there this amazing Nancy Pelosi this morning? Right. Is there an amazing moment of triangulation here where could Chuck Schumer round up enough Republicans that, who don't like Mitch McConnell and can Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump get together and pass a massive infrastructure bill? Like there was a, some talk about that last year. Could that happen next year? I'm out of the prediction business. Fair enough. And, and I spoke to somebody this morning who thought that maybe probably not next year on infrastructure, but maybe in the next two months, Schumer and Pelosi could basically trade some Democratic votes on wall funding to get that done now rather than next year. Don't even remind me that we have a government shutdown looming sort of by the end of the year, which will definitely factor into the wall funding issue. And will they throw other things into there? I tend to be one of these people who are very pessimistic about lame ducks and that there's no reason for Democrats to make a deal when they're going to be in charge and Republicans are angry and we'll get a lot of arguing and then we'll get some last minute deal. My final two on SpaceX and Chinese body identification software. Yeah, that's a thing now. Right after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is that SpaceX this morning is meeting with prospective investors on what it hopes will be a $750 million debt issuance, its first ever. Why it matters is that this could give us our first look ever at SpaceX's financials, including things like its reliance on government contracts, or lack thereof, and the margin on its recycled rockets, which are key to making space travel more affordable. And finally, the AP reports that Chinese authorities have begun deploying a new type of surveillance technology called, quote, gate recognition. It's like facial recognition, except that it identifies you by your body shape and the way you walk, even if your face is hidden. Now, the idea of gate recognition isn't new, but using it for mass surveillance is. And at some point, the U.S. is going to have to come up with rules for how we handle such things here before they simply get deployed. Maybe that's a job for the new Congress. And we're done. Thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Gracia and Tim Shovers, have a restful National Stress Awareness Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata podcast.